0: Hey guys, brand new podcast. We're pumping them out this week. We got a ton we're dropping. I think we're dropping three this week. We got a new two bears, one cave, new Bill Burt. Those are out right now. New merch at burt, dot Whiskey cock, Glock dog in a cup. Get five for 15. I think is the deal. And then new shirt, whiskey cock, Glock dog. And we have the machine shirt. We've got posters and we just restocked with a new, uh, polycotton blend Burt cast shirt. So if you're a fan of the Birdcast, cast rock the shirt, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to my wife. I appreciate you supporting the podcast. Like I said, we're banging them out this week, mostly because my buddy Mo Mandel is on today. And, uh, mostly because I figure if I put out more podcasts, maybe I'll turn into Rogan and then maybe I'll sign a huge deal with uh Spotify shout out to my buddy, Joe Rogan. Uh, none of that had happened by the way, Uh, when we did these podcasts, he has now moved his podcast exclusively over to Spotify. I think that's the right verbiage. Don't quote me on any of that, but shout out to Rogan doing big things, big fucking things in this podcasting game. You got to fucking tip your hat and I will boom. That's a machine hat. Yeah, baby. Part of the reason I tell the machine story is because on his fucking podcast, on his fucking podcast, I told that for a fucking story, what, nine years ago. And he said, you have to tell that story. And that was the beginning of that podcast where people were showing up at shows. It was amazing. So amazing. So amazing to be a part, even just in the smallest way that we are, of something to see it and see it be what it is today. To have been there nine years ago with him and Red Band in his office, in his house, with flashlights, fucking floor to ceiling, smoking weed, drinking Heinekens, and giggling. Hardcore before I knew Joey Diaz. I mean, I look back and I think, I think to myself, I think to myself, fucking congratulations, Joe. That is fucking next level. Game changing. Game fucking changing. I really I'm I'm I am a little floored. Anyway, today's podcast is with Mo Mandel. I've known Mo for longer than I've known Joe, I think. I did Mo and I did a show called Reality Bites back together. And I had many a drunken conversation before my life was changed by buddies like, Mo. we talk about this in the podcast, by like buddies like Rogan, and uh, I think we talk about Joe in this podcast. So it's imperative that you know that we did not know he hadn't signed a Spotify deal. We would have talked about it. But um, before I had my life changed by guys like Rogan and Burr and Segura and Joey and all my friends that kind of said, get away from Travel Channel and. Stick with podcasting and get stick with stand up and do specials. You're too fucking funny. Um, there was a time where I believed that for me that television was my path. And I drunkenly absconded, is that the right word? Mo Mandel on a on the patio of the store. We talk about that and told him what he should do. This is what I think you should do. I got so many ideas with basic cable television. Be a basic cable superstar, is what I said drunkenly, probably. Anyway. He fucking took my lead. He's sold many a show. Um, but more importantly, Small Town Throwdown is his new show. It is airing tonight on Discovery. Tonight on Discovery. Tonight on Discovery at 10 p.m. if I'm not mistaken. It's called Small Town Throwdown. It's a great premise of a show. Something I wish I had been part of when I was making these television shows. What's that?
1: Eastern. 10 p.m. Eastern.
0: 10 p.m. Eastern. Right. 10 p.m. Eastern. So whatever that means for when you just go to Small Town Show Throwdown. What he does is he goes to towns that have been labeled something like the drunkest town in America or the most boring town in America. He then explores that town and proves that moniker wrong or right for all I know. I haven't seen the show yet. It airs tonight. I will be watching it and I want you to watch it too. He's a great comedian and we have a great conversation about something a lot of comics don't talk enough about and that is like, there's a lot of confusion in this business of like, when's it going to happen for me? Or maybe I'm not funny. Or maybe I just, maybe all these things, there's all these like queries. I was thinking a lot about this conversation after. And I, this is what I used to say to myself. My wife had a friend named Brooke who had a house. They owned a house. My wife and I were just had Georgia and we were over there for a play date. And I remember I spent the whole time at that house going, how did they buy a house? Like, how do you, someone get a house? Like the idea that someone could have a house was so Foreign to me. Like the it was like, it was like almost like, like, remember when you were a kid and you and you heard that like I remember i hearing Scapa Beer's brother uh didn't go to class, he just had sex with his girlfriend. And I was like, What? I was like, your brother skipped class and just had sex with a girl all day? And he was like, Yeah, man, this college is gonna be awesome. And I was like, oh my God. And then when you go to college and you're like, oh, yeah but it's my girlfriend. I mean, it's not just some, you know, it's like, yeah, anyone can have sex with their girlfriend. (laughs) We have that conversation here on this podcast. Mo's just asking about when's it going to happen? Or when did you, when did you know that it happened? Or I forget what the conversation is, but it's a great conversation that I think a lot of comics wonder about. I know I always wondered about, but maybe not enough of us have. I do a lot of that on this podcast. And by the way, I'm obsessed with comedy. I'm obsessed with stand-up comedy. It's my biggest love of my life. I'm ready to get back on the road. Secret time. I'm working on some big things. So I don't know if it's going to happen. And if it is, it's going to be bizarre. And if it's bizarre, it's going to be fun. And if it's fun and bizarre, know that I'm filming it. It's going on YouTube or a network, whatever. Anyway, uh, but it's a great conversation. It's a great podcast. We went a lot longer than I thought we would. I usually keep these to like an hour and a half because my back starts hurting from this chair. Um, but I think we went for like two hours. Am I right, Halston? Yeah. So, uh, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Check out Small Town Showdown tonight on Discovery at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, producer, actor, host, comedian, and I think podcaster as well, Mo Mandel. This is Dude, I love the premise of the new show. Thanks, man. I really, yeah, love it. I, I don't, you know. <laughs> whoa, I feel like that was my, my, my uh, home for so long with those Discovery, Travel, uh, Animal Planet, uh, fucking. I, I feel like I did so much of that shit for so long in my life. But every time I hear an idea, I, I just um, I never like it. I never like it, but. Fuck, I love it. And I love so much about the show. I haven't seen it, but I've read about it. I love the fact that you write an article about the place. I love that you're writing it in your own voice. I love everything. I can't. I wish I had, can I tell you, I really honestly wish I had directed your fucking pilot because I feel like as a comic, I know so much about what makes comics good in those things. Like I'm, yeah. so, but I probably would have been fucking annoying and heavy handed and been like- Well, we did uh, go
1: to the drunkest town in America. So that could have been a conflict of interest. Appleton, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, so how many, how many episodes did you do? So we've shot, you know, we just shot the, the first episode, which is two different towns. And now we're hoping that after this COVID thing, you know, it's going to do well when it airs, you know, they're kind of making, them it into like this special, but they combine the first two towns and that we're hoping, you know, we'll get to get it back out there. An hour but, um, or 22? Uh, 42 minute special. Nice. But, yeah. So it's exciting. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, you know, cause like touring for so long and for me almost exclusively in the markets, you know, you often go into these towns where people are like, Oh, you're going to that place. Oh, that place fucking sucks. You know? And then you go there, you're like, dude, I had a great time in Fairbanks. You know what I mean? Like I had an awesome time there. Why are people always just dogging these places? And you realize that a lot of the people who are saying that all oh, this town sucks, like I've never even been there.
0: Dude, uh, My favorite place, my favorite state in the union, obviously, aside from Hawaii, Hawaii is the greatest place in the fucking planet, in my opinion, but uh, I agree is is Ohio. I love Ohio. I love Ohio. Yeah. Great place. But it's, you know what? I was, I was telling someone, we were, we were in my, in my van with my crew. It was like 11 person crew. And we were debating the greatest places based on, based on now great, granted, based on liberal uh artists you know cameraman sound guy producer talent right right right. it's a very very
1: biased group
0: yeah very biased group but we were saying you know you need to be somewhat progressive because like hey love we look we'd all love to live in fucking in in uh idaho or or someplace where there's a lot of militia activity but but, but. <clears throat> but it's but ultimately it's not going to be ultimately progressive for our children who may
1: be gay, transgender, whatever the fuck, you know. So right. like, well, I mean, that's the thing. Somewhere. Like, it's always the pros and cons, right? You're like, you're like, man, people are like, why do you live in L.A.? The prices are crazy. I live in insert town here, and I have a 15 bedroom mansion for 200. You're like, yeah, but I mean, I kind of need to be have access to other things, you know. So it's like, like,
0: yeah, I listen. No offense, but I love, I love a fucking. Chinese food, like authentic Chinese food. I love, food. I love Korean barbecue. Like oh, I we love- got
1: Panda express, uh, at the airport.
0: <laughs> it's really, you, about? Man, you get spoiled living in LA because you know, Rogan's talking about moving to Texas now. And,
1: uh, Oh, and- I know,
0: man. oh yeah. Legit. Well for him, it's more, I mean, I'm not, I won't speak for him. I'm just, uh, parroting things he said on podcasts, not privately. Um, but it's a civil liberties issue like he believes he believes that the government in this city is and this con, in this state is taking away his right to do what he wants to do and he doesn't like that so he wants to live in a place where maybe there's a little more freedom and and i think you get to places like texas montana um places you know obviously ruby ridge is a place where people moved to because they didn't like the government telling them what to do and then when the right, government right. came in and said hey, you can't saw off the, the ends of shotguns, a fucking war ensued,
1: you know? So, it's- I mean, yeah, I mean, you see that even just with, like, what's going on with COVID right now, right? Like, even when, I mean, this this idea of freedom and, and the government's role in people's lives is so, it means such a different thing to different people, right? Yeah. Whereas people are saying the government, you know, according to some people, be like, we're just saying don't get sick and go outside and spread this. And to other people, that is being seen as an affront to their civil liberties. And I mean, who's to say who's right, who's wrong, you know, and and people like take it so seriously that that can lead very quickly to some pretty like serious situations.
0: Oh, people are saying, I mean, the argument's been made. I've heard that, listen, if you're in one of the high risk categories, don't go outside. Don't like you take care of you. I'll take care of me. And, and, and people are saying, you know, let the show, let the theaters open up. Let the, let the, let the, I mean, I, 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 it's super tricky because it's been politicized and you're and you're like and I just talked to my dad about it today. It's it's like all of a sudden it seems like liberals want us to stay inside and conservatives want us to go outside, which is so like
1: I and know. Why should like, it make and it's just I feel like that and I feel like that with like uh global warming and the environment, like it doesn't matter what, like we're we're all on the little planet. So let's all be on board on keeping it alive, right? Like, so. Yeah. I don't know how you do that, but we should all have the same goal, right? It's to to have water and air.
0: Yeah, it's, it's I mean, and it's crazy too. I think every one of us in LA noticed the second the car stopped, everything looked a little prettier.
1: Oh, you know? yeah. Dude, my friend drives for like one of those uh, Grubhub kind of apps. And he's yeah. like, it's the best. There's no traffic. Everyone's ordering everything. He's like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my
0: life. Oh, my daughters, we were driving down the 101 and they were like, whoa, how close are we to the mountains? And I was yeah. like, really close. Like everything's re- like, LA's a great city. The problem is we've fucked it up so much yeah. that you can't see what's around us.
1: You're like, oh, we're as close to the mountains as we've been for the last 20 years.
0: Yeah. Dude, I have a friend who you just bought couldn't a. See them. I have a friend who bought a. I, uh, a very expensive house, right? Amazingly expensive house. And he was sending me pictures of the ocean and how beautiful it is. And he's like, I can see Catalina. And I was like, yeah, until COVID goes away and then your house is overpriced. <laughs> right, 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 Exactly, exactly.
1: Well, this is the funny thing about, I mean, the kind of idea for the show is that people in like LA or New York or whatever, they have this conception that they've won the jackpot, right? And yeah. and everyone wishes they had lived, they were living where they live. But the reality is a lot of people in smaller towns and places that are clear really off the map, they feel like they're the one getting the good deal, and life is way better where they are. Who's to say who's right and who's wrong? Well then, well, then me and
0: you, because me and you have traveled. Like, think about it. Like, I, I, that's a great argument, because if you said to probably – if you said, I'm going to say, I'm, this is a bold statement, and and please correct me if – you are if, if on Twitter if you if you think this is wrong. Oh,
1: oh, they will. Yeah, they. Will. The internet doesn't let anything slide.
0: If you said to eighty if you said to one hundred percent of the people listening to this right now, here's the deal. Okay, I can keep. I can give you your life. You can keep it as it is. Okay, or we can go in a time machine, and to when you were like twenty years old, and we can re-roll the dice, and you could possibly make millions of dollars and, and live in L.A. Or or, or we can give you exactly what you got. Or we can just go back and roll the dice at 20 and you make make millions of dollars and live in LA and, and be Tom Segura, where you have a fucking great house, you got a great family, your kids, and you got tons of money, you have a thriving career, five Netflix specials, six Netflix specials, a th- thriving podcast. What would you take? I think, I mean, aside from the fact that people would have to be Tom Segura, I think a lot of people would, <laughs> would go back and roll the dice one time. And now if you said it to me and you would live the life, I think we're the ones where we go, I don't know, man, it would be nice to like, maybe have lived in a small town and, and started a company and had a family around you, like have a group of people around you that you love and you take care of and, and you know, your one drama is with, with the guy who wants to open the cement factory next to your business and you gotta deal with that shit, and you know?
1: Right. Well, I mean, that's exactly where the idea for this show came from. I was reading this article where one time this report was 2015. And I'm not going to say the newspaper, but he wrote it in like a giant, a big national newspaper. Right. And he just randomly declared that Red Lake Falls, Minnesota was the worst place to live in America. And he was going off like statistics. Right. <sighs> and the town figured out that this asshole had never even been there. And so they petitioned the post to send this guy there. And when he came, they made it their mission to like show him every awesome thing about the town. And this is true that he not only wrote a retraction, he moved his family to red Lake falls and still lives there. Like that's really? how much he was impressed by how fucking great this town is. Well, any small town,
0: any small town you go to, you're going to find like, I, I've traveled enough where I've traveled more probably than I've probably traveled more than 99% of this world. Oh easily you've been yeah.
1: like i remember we were doing that comedy Central mm. show together and i was just starting to do road stuff i'm like so how often are you on the road and i thought you were gonna say like 20 weeks and you're like eh, 48 weeks a year or something like that i was like god oh
0: uh, yeah thanks. this is the longest i've ever been home ever in Georgia's whole life like george has never seen me this much in her life um yeah i believe it but there's really great great places like you go you know you go to the upper peninsula of michigan and you see really cool sporting goods stores and really cool like like outdoor shops and really cool, like restaurants that serve amazing food where they make their own bread. And you're like, God damn it, man, this is what, what this is, is this is hipster shit in LA. Like dudes right. making like rose petaled ice cream. And you're like, man, you can that's like people take that in Brooklyn and make a whole business off that. You just happen to make it. Cause you're interested in it. Like I I'm blown away at how beautiful our
1: country is. Like especially small towns. Right. And it's so, what's so great is when you go to I mean, like, cause the town I grew up in 700 people, I mean, there, there was not a where mom. Did you, mom where, I
0: thought you grew up outside, uh, San Francisco.
1: Well, uh, two and a half hours outside it. So definitely right. the North Bay, a little town called Boonville, California, which is 700 people. And literally to this day, we don't have a mom. We don't have a chain. Uh, we don't even have a gas station chain. It's like it's the mom and pop gas station, you know. So what's great about small towns like that is, you know, like you're saying, if you go to a place, it's not hipster shit. It's like literally that's how Barry makes his ice cream. That's how she does the restaurant. Yeah. Whereas if you go to, you know, one of these nameless cities that you know not to name that we've been to, like you know, we're like, oh, cool, we can go to Chili's or Fuddruckers or Dave and Buster's, and not that these aren't great places, but like there's nothing intrinsic to that location about the business is there, you know, they're just like franchises.
0: It's what, it, it's what makes those places cool. Is like, this sounds really crazy, but like, um, my wife's hometown has maybe 1200 people in it. And, uh, they get excited. They're like, we got a Wendy's and you're like, <laughs> you're like, that's so funny. We have Wendy's, but we look for the small burger shop. You're trying to, Wendy's is putting out the small burger shop. Whereas I come in from LA and I'm like, Oh my God, let's go to the small burger place. Let's go to the hole in the wall place. Yeah. You know, they look at it as like, well, yeah, but they don't have drive-through. Imagine drive-through. Like it's amazing the flip floppiness of it. Like, uh, in w- we plant, we have chickens and we have uh, peppers and tomatoes, but that's like we do that so that we have a connection to struggle in a weird way. Like it's a, it's like this. Like I'm saying, we, me and my my wife and the yeah. girls. And in my wife's hometown, they have it, but it's just, that's how they get their tomatoes. Like,
1: or it's like, it's also just like, well, why you would be an idiot not to have it. Like you live, right. you have all this land. Why are you not like growing up? I would go down with my job where, you know, I'd go get the chicken eggs, you know, get the eggs for breakfast. Like you have the land. So if you're not doing that, it's wasteful, you know, I and mean, you, you, why not grow your own vegetables? It's like, it, it, it is this kind of beautiful thing that I'm so disconnected to in my life now. You know, and I think everyone, I remember I I used to have this girl from L.A. who was from a tiny town in Maine, you know. And one time we were sitting out at the griddle on Sunset and she was like, isn't it amazing that, you know, we both started out in these small towns and now we're in this, we're in L.A. We really made it. I go, okay, we're eating breakfast outside. That's a fucking Chevron. That's a riding. That's a a fucking Chipotle. That's a fucking smog. You know what I mean? Like, I think we totally fucked up. (laughs) Like You grew up next to a lake. I grew up in a Redwood forest. Why did we end up here? Yeah,
0: it's so crazy. It's like, what, what was the draw? I mean, the draw for me, I, I've, I've actually plotted this out. There was a period of time when I was on Travel Channel where I looked at it and I thought, if I could do what Andrew Zimmern does, where he lives in Minnesota, he makes great money at Travel Channel, now at Discovery. I guess Discovery owns everything now. He makes right. great money at Discovery. Probably has got an overall deal there. Uh, works, I'm guessing, the bare minimum, but pitches whatever he wants and produces great money he's got a you know got a lake house got a beautiful house in the city like he's got all the things he needs you know and i'm like what you look at all the guys that all those flippers like joe joanna and chip who live in waco fucking texas
1: which by the way is the way you say that is so funny because that was one of the places i wanted to go because waco texas is just known as like you know you can't get a more notorious place than that. And just some of the research I did for the show, I'm like this place sounds fucking nice. Like there's Dude, a lot well, of other nice it's, stuff there outside. Waco's got a bad
0: rep weekend. because of Timothy McVeigh, or not? T- no, no, uh, the not
1: Branch Davidian. But that was like that was like what was it 80 days? I think that raid. And then the whole city is this. That's all it is. You know, that's all. That that's place, all I know. it It is crazy fucking place. Is yeah. David
0: Krech and the Branch Davidians? Right. And then and then and then what happened is, and you're right, the media was like, "Fuck Chip and Joanna." We're gonna tell everyone what a shithole Waco is and that they're taking a bath in these houses because they're flipping these these like eighty thousand dollar properties and turning in them to three hundred thousand dollar houses. <clears throat> the medium income, medium income, median income in, in Waco can't be three hundred thousand dollars.
1: Well that that's always my favorite when you hear like these baller houses for three hundred thousand dollars. Like, remember that show Making Murder on Netflix? Yes. My favorite part of that show is when I, when, it, when, at the end they reveal that the DA was like a total scumbag. And you hear him on the phone with one of his uh, clients. And he's trying to like convince her to have sex with him. He's like, you think you're hot shit? I'm the guy with a great job. I'm the guy with the $350,000 house. <laughs> like living in LA, you're like,
0: what? Dude, it's, but it's, <laughs> it's where I'd love to, I'd love to have a fuck, especially now when this whole COVID shit breaks down. You're like, I would love to have a place in Waco where I have tons of land and I can get, I I have a motorcycle and fucking make a little dirt bike track and shoot shotguns and fly my drone and like, just I have a whole gymnasium. That's a warehouse that I work out in the morning and do a killer workout. And then I have a whole gym, another building. That's like, I have a
1: compound. I would love that. I mean, what would so you want to be the want? next, you want to be the next David Koresh of Waco, but like in a more positive compound kind of way
0: bro i have already l- outlined my religion and it's based on luck, yeah, like <laughs> don't even get me started i have the t- I have the tent poles. I was just talking to Sigur about this the other day. we were talking about um we were talking about uh uh giving commencement speech, right yeah, we were giving commencement speeches and I was like he was like well what would you, what what are your three pillars of like things you hold precious and I went humility um luck and and I think it was humility, luck, and selfishness.
1: <laughs> and he was like, wow. Huh. Yeah, connect the dots on that one.
0: So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely.
1: Wait, Brake, not... can, you, can, you, can you, as one of your disciples, break? help me understand that. What does that mean? Humility yeah. and selfishness. Where do the two of those connect?
0: Well, it's very simple. And by the way, there is a huge flaw in this that I will not point out. I'll let you discover. And if you can't discover, then you just are part of this religion. Okay, good. Um, uh, okay. Humility, was, humility, humility was given to me by, by my dad. It, I didn't come by it naturally. I was not a humble person growing up. I was always the kid. Like I was the kid that when a fly ball got hit to me in first grade and I was on playing second base and the bases were loaded, I caught it, ripped my shirt off, spiked the ball and danced. So humility did not come to me naturally. But I've learned I've learned that humility is the greatest attribute you can have, especially in this business. Any guy who tells you he is funny usually is not funny at all. The guys who are the funniest usually don't bring it up at all. And you've never heard them say, I'm very funny once. And they definitely don't brag. They don't tell you about how much money they make and all the fucking things like Bill Burr's and those guys are, and Dave Chappelle's are pretty fucking humble. And so, and my dad instilled humility on me into me on my 26th birthday is when I first found the virtue of humility to be uh, worthy. Now, my my cherished my my importance of humility is based off selfishness. Okay, now if I found that being humble did not pay dividends to me, I wouldn't be humble. If a perfect
1: example, so this I, is like, I, this is kind of like Ayn Rand, I think a little bit.
0: I, uh, by the way, I started reading The Fountainhead and I was like, wait, this Keating guy sounds like he's got it figured out. Like, I don't know why everyone's slamming him. Right. I right. only do things that benefit me. I own the meaning, make me feel good. I don't yeah. do anything that doesn't make me feel good. I said to Tom, I don't cheat on Leanne. Now, I've never cheated on her. I will never cheat on her. But the reason is not because I care about her feelings, the reason is I want her in my life and I like her. So it it benefits me not to cheat on her. I don't do it because it, I don't not do it because it would hurt her. I do it because it makes me feel it would hurt you,
1: hurt me to cheat on her. Like it would fuck me up. This is like a, I remember reading like just in one of the actual classes I remember from school, is they were talking about like real altruism in the natural world might not really exist. You know, like the idea of doing something purely for somebody else probably never happens. It's like a bird will protect its young, not because it cares about its fucking young, but because that somehow connects, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but but it, I think it's probably more true than not, that, that we find ways to kind of benefit ourselves. And that's why that's why we kind of would risk our life for somebody because ultimately it would somehow, I don't know, it's a weird kind of dark thought. You know, but I think it's, it's,
0: true. it's a dark thought, but there's something very connected to it. Like I tell my daughter, Georgia, if she's going to go on a bike ride, wear your mask, socially distance, and be careful. Okay. I don't want you to get hurt. I don't give a fuck if she gets hurt. I just know for a fact that if she died, I would no longer be able to exist. I would right. be gone. I would, be, no one would speak to me ever again if something were to happen to that child. So ultimately, it is kind of selfish because I'm only thinking about myself in this, right? Like I'm only yeah. the, the example I used to Tom, which he did not. That he he did not see initially, and then he was like, I guess you're kind of right. Was uh, the N-word. I would argue that the majority of white people don't say the N-word, not because they really care about how that makes anyone feel. I think that they, they just taught, hey, don't say it, you get you lose your job, you get in trouble, you make it may get your ass kicked. Like, there's very few people like myself, and by the way, I will say myself because I avoid and I have I a joke that the punchline's the N-word. I've told it on stage before. It's a great fucking joke. It's a great fucking joke. However, I at a certain point realized that I don't want someone to come to my show, hear that word, and it's to ruin their night. I just don't want that. Like that, not selfishly. I don't want to fuck up because my job is making people laugh. My job is I don't want anyone to feel dehumanized in my show. It happens, of course. But right. like since altruistically, I want that's why I try to avoid the like word, like the M word or the R word. I try to avoid those words just only because I don't want a person at a point in their life where they go, "I'm going through some shit. I want to get elevated and come to a comedy show." That's Bird's job. This is going to be great. To then go, "Wow, fuck! I feel less than human." And that I don't. It's not like it. It does.
1: Yeah, like but in but, but also, uh, just to, just to kind of throw some out there like I think because I'm with you as well and sometimes I'll be like I know a joke I'm doing isn't actually offensive and I know it's actually a, a smart statement about this but I'm realizing it's getting misunderstood enough that it's not worth doing because I as a practitioner have failed at making it crystal clear what I'm saying and as comedians we just want to be understood like we're trying to express ourselves so if it's being misunderstood, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you have someone read your screenplay or whatever and they're like, oh, so that character works at the bank. You're like, no, dude, obviously he worked at this place. He just went to the bank. You're like, oh, that's my fault. I didn't yeah. I didn't explain what's going on. You know, I it's not, not you. you.
0: I, I said to Andrew Schultz, um, I said to Andrew Schultz, I told him the- Can inter- I tell you, I had
1: a weird dream that I was in a fist fight with him out of nowhere the other night. Not Like we were about to do like a UFC fight against each other. And I was like, I woke up like, I have nothing but love for that guy. I barely even know him. Why the fuck did I do a, a why well, was about to do a UFC <laughs> throwdown with
0: this guy? It was a grab a water. I had a dream that uh, me and Seth Rogen were cops last
1: night. <laughs> I mean, and, why are you guys not cops? I mean, that is, dude, that. why is that movie not out there?
0: We were about to have a big fucking shootout in Chinatown. We were on top of a parking garage that that was connected to a hill. So like there was you, there was runaway. I could get away if I needed to. And he, he just fucking cracked a six pack of, uh, the champagne of beers, right? Yeah. Clear bottle. And we're killing them before the shoot. We're smoking cigarettes. And he gives me a gun. And he's like, God, I love what we do. And I, and I was like, I'm terrified. And he was like, oh, this is going to be fucking great. Gives me a gun. Gives me an extra clip. Gives me a cigarette. And then looks at me. He goes, untuck your fucking shirt. And it was like, it was such a great moment. But back to, back to Schultz. I had, yeah. a, I had a conversation with Andrew Schultz about this joke. 'Cause this joke is really a great joke. I I really I thought for me it was gonna be like a, a tent pole joke, like one that you were like, Oh, this is gonna be great. Told it a bunch, told it I would always like grab someone who was, you know, black and be like, Hey, check this joke out. Tell me tell me if you think, tell me what you think about the joke. And uh, and often, all the times, they'd be like, Totally fine, totally fine. Yeah, yeah totally fine. And so But the problem was I, once again, didn't, I didn't want it. I was concerned that it would make people feel like shit. Like that was it is that if you were an older black woman or an older black man and that, and, and you maybe weren't young, like, you know, like the people I'd run it by, maybe it would really fuck your day up, you know? And that's, that was my concern. So I told Schultz about it and he was like, why don't you just change the word to pancakes? Don't tell them at the very beginning, I'm going to change this word. I'm going to say I have to say the M word to make this joke work. But at the end i'm gonna just change it i'm just gonna say pancakes so you know that when i say pancakes i'm really intending to say the n-word and i did it a couple times and it fucking murdered i mean it murdered it murdered that's, that's
1: so, kind of brilliant i mean that's like such a brilliant sis-ball.
0: also what the alt-right does is they just oh, now right. they have it's it i had to stop because what it is is it's it's like code signaling like it's you're
1: you're right. now giving,
0: you're now giving white especially if this joke's popular you're giving white people a new way to say the n word right that's a good point. I didn't think about that cuz then
1: but see this is a problem with racial jokes in general right and i and some of my favorite jokes i've ever written are racial and and i and, I, and I, i'm in a weird place cuz i don't know it, yeah if it's okay to keep telling them but it's like a racial joke can be misinterpreted so easily and then like bill burr talks about that guys will come up to you and be like Man, I like when you trash those people. You're like, whoa, no, I was trashing you. Like I was an impression of of what a racist is, not you know, and so it's like, fuck, is it even worth it if you could The
0: you, last you, time I you, told that joke, someone came up and goes, dude, I fucking can't stand uh, pancakes. And I went, uh, Okay, God. I'm done telling that joke. Like, and right. then and now the alt right it's so funny, man. I, I tweeted this last night. I was on his uh his historic, I think it's historic uh on uh, Instagram it's like a history thing I love I'm fascinated by history and so uh but ever since I was a fucking kid I don't know why and there's this picture I'm sure you saw it picture a bunch of starving kids and they're like hey if you were born in 1900 this is what you went through did you see that post no, no it was pretty fascinating it was like number 1 when you were 15 world war 2 started when you were 18 uh world war or 15 world war 1 started when you were 18 World War II started. When you were uh, 20, the Spanish flu started. When you were 30, the Great Depression. When you were 40, the Korean War. Like it was just everything.
1: And it's crazy when you see these guys, that are like, this guy has lived through all of that. Yeah. And he's still like, fuck you, COVID. You're yeah. not me down.
0: And then here I am going, but I had, a- what about
1: AIDS? I was there for AIDS. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're right, exactly. You're like, yeah. you're like, but I got to clean off my groceries now. Like, this is like fucking a nightmare, you know. How would so, me during the Spanish flu when they didn't even know what a germ was? Did they not know what
0: a germ? Oh yeah, no, no, no. They had to know what a germ was. I don't barely. No, they, had to. they had to. You're thinking yeah. Civil War? No, 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 no. no. no.
1: It's, it's like my girl, my fiance's a doctor, and she was telling me germ theory is like insanely not very old. Like I might be wrong, but it's, no, no, no. They just were learning about. It. Well, that may, it could, that could
0: make sense. You figure when did, uh, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, the the point, my point of my thing is I read this thing. It's about all the things those people went through to give you some perspective. And then of course, no matter how fucking smart you are, the internet will always find a way to just trash you. Yeah, and this guy, the first comment was some black dude, He wrote. Now imagine if you were black and, and, Immediately, I go, oh, like, if you think it was bad, because I'm imagining this as a white person. Oh, yeah. If you think that was bad <laughs> yeah. being white, it was a hundred times worse if you were black. Like,
1: well, hundreds- this is what's so annoying when you hear, like, okay, like, you know, I love movies where you see the pastoral thing. My dad grew up in the Bronx, right? And yeah. he grew up in, like, when you see, like, a 1950s scene of kids playing stickball in the street. You know that was that's how my dad grew up. You know, and he's oh, like, "Yeah, it was, it was cool, though." Yeah, it was so cool. You know, and then you think, "What if you were black?" That was not a great time to be in New York City. You know what I mean, or anywhere in America. It's like, you, yeah, it, it, that's what this whole idea of like we got to go back to the good old days. Like they were good for these people. They yeah. were horrible for these people. And by the way, the women in this group, it was horrible for them too. You know what I mean, like. yeah. It's a weird kind of thing where, like, my mom is one of these hippie dippy people. You met her when we were doing the show. And yeah. And she's great. I love her. But she has this sort of like optimistic idea about what life used to be like. Where she'd be like, Can you believe what's going on now? And God, can you believe what's going on? Like, mom, this is the best time to be alive in the history of history. Like, for almost everybody. You know, it, it, it's not like if you look back at what was going on during the Inquisition, it was like, not a pretty good time. No, it was like, it was pretty fucked up and we're kind of slowly getting slightly less fucked up
0: yeah it's not bad the my just to close this out That guy wrote now imagine if you're black and then this is where i was so confused the next comment was that that's the problem with you joggers you guys are all yeah and i was like i was like did this moronic racist did he get spell corrected he tried to write the n-word and it was like you must mean joggers, <laughs> and and then I found out last night that is a code that's pancakes. pancakes. Yeah, that's Pancake because of that young kid that was shot trying to go jogging. And Dude,
1: then, I mean that that's that's so fucked up, man. That is like a perfect parallel of what you're talking about.
0: It's a perfect parallel. And so I was like, well, I can't, I'm not using pancakes. I'm not. You know what? And then you just go. I'm not telling the joke. It's a good joke. Uh, every now and then, I'll I'll tell the story. Maybe on a podcast, I'll use the M word. Fuck it. But like. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like. It's not worth it for me to go out every single night. Tell a story that could fuck. It's and it's not. It's like it's just. It's fucking sucks. But it's. But it's, it doesn't suck enough.
1: It doesn't suck worse than being called the n word. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, uh, That that is easily true. Yeah. Well, dude. Speaking of the internet about this, somebody I think he was a pastor in Florida. I didn't watch it, but I just was saw like a little thing. When I was going genius. He went jogging. With his shirt off, holding a TV, white guy, just to prove how utterly fucking double standard people are. No one fucked with him. No one bothered him at all. As Wait, how job, far
0: was he running, and what was his pace? That's an impressive. That's super I mean, impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean that that should maybe be like a new like Olympic sport. I don't know. I got to look it up, but I just thought like that's genius because no one probably thought that guy probably just robbed the house. Probably like yeah, he's doing some CrossFit involving a Samsung.
0: That's so funny. I'll tell you right now, my friend lost their cat my friend's black lost his cat this was the this was when I was turning 40 and I I happened to not be drinking for like a month leading up to my 40th birthday so I wanted to I wanted to treat myself you know I wanted it to, to be fun yeah. so um leading up to that month my friend called me and said hey man I lost my cat can you help me find my cat and I went what excuse me like I'm not it's like fucking 10 at night I'm not going to look for your cat with you it was a dog i'm sorry it was a dog and uh it makes it slightly
1: slightly more acceptable honestly yeah
0: and yeah it does actually make it more acceptable and i was like i'm not gonna go and he's like i can't and i was like what do you mean you can't and he goes i can't i can't go around our neighborhood with a like calling out a fucking i can't i just can't yeah and i want to say this is around when the trayvon martin shit was happening i don't i mean i can't remember totally but like around that time i was turning 40 whenever that was so um, and I went out and I looked for this guy's dog and then I got, and then the dog ended up going home, but it was like it, the dog ended up at home. But yeah, you start, there are certain things. It's like, when you talk about, and I think you were probably raised definitely understanding, pri, not maybe not understanding privilege the way that we understand it now, but understanding, you know, struggle or what it's like. Your parents well, were very, were very, your mom. No, my parents
1: aren't very liberal, but I will say this, like, I, I absolutely grew up around very specific. Like I grew up in Northern California. So it was like all white people and Mexican immigrants. Like that was it. That was the only people that we had the only black kids in our school were live kids who were from like Oakland who live at this group home in town. Really? I mean, that's just a fact, you know? And so you, it, you can't help but feel like, I mean, you just are ignorant, right? I know when I went to Santa Barbara for college, that was the first time I was around like just. Asian people and black people on a regular basis, you know, and you just can't help but just be that guy who's like asking people about hip hop for no fucking reason. I mean, you're just eating it, but it's not, it's everyone because people will come to me and talk to me about Jewish shit on the road. And I'm like, yeah. fuck, do I get a shit that you went to a damn bar mitzvah one time? I don't give a fuck. I wasn't talking about that. Like, why, why <laughs> are you telling me that? And it's the, it's the same annoying thing that everyone does but it's people way, trying to connect. It's people trying to connect. Like when it's you not go just to, white people though, black people do it too. I used to date this black girl from the Bahamas and I went over to the Bahamas and her grandma is fucking talking to me about random fucking Jewish and white shit. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking to me about? I'm dating your granddaughter. Let's talk about her. I'm like, what is going on? You it's know?
0: trying it's we were t- I was saying this song the other day I go, you just you're trying to connect and, and it and it comes off wrong. I remember I had a joke about it. I was making I was making fajitas one time and our maintenance man Mario walked in and I went, "Hey Mario, I'm making fajitas." Like what did I think he was going to say? Like <laughs> he's going to be like "Here's your daughter's ears. Grab a fertilizer. Yeah. And it was but it's like it is it is someone trying to connect. And you're like when you get punished for it, and maybe rightfully so when you say like what did what it, I just saw somewhere in a movie, someone goes, so where are you from? And the person goes, San Francisco. And he goes, come on, you know what I meant.
1: <laughs> I mean, I know, I know. I, it's just, it's so crazy, man. It's like, but fuck, dude. I, we're also, I mean, look, that, this is where humility comes in we're all guilty of like just prejudices and, and, and just small minded thinking yeah. and just, and I actually had this really interesting thing that just happened to me last night. Right. So I, so I'm writing this, uh, this screenplay, right. And, and I'm sending it to people to get their thoughts and like little things I would have never thought about people. Like I have this black character who's an angry black dude named Jerome and a few black guys who have read it. And one white guy are like, really, dude, you're going to call the black guy Jerome? Like, just give him a regular name. Like, I didn't know that was not a regular name. I, I didn't even realize that was like a cliche, angry old black guy name. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. And then they go, also, I couldn't tell. And then this, this guy who's a straight dude said, oh, I, uh, I, a straight black dude. He goes, also I couldn't tell the uh, that kid was gay. Why don't you describe him as effeminate? I go, no, because then a gay dude's going to read it and go, we're not all effeminate. You know what I mean? It's like everyone of every group doesn't understand the other groups. You know, it's like it's so fucking complex.
0: Dude, you want to hear something fucking horrific? I was I I love admitting things sometimes, and I, I don't think enough people admit things. Like you'll be yeah, in yeah. laying in bed, I was reading, I was reading. I'm obsessed with the fucking Michael Jordan documentary, and uh, and I'm also obsessed with whatever's going on with Takashi Six Nine. Like those oh are the my two God. things,
1: dude. I could talk Takashi
0: for a fucking year. I am obsessed with that kid. I'm fascinated. I was fascinated. I, the first time yeah. I ever saw him was when he got into that fight outside the. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I was at LAX checking in at curbside while the fight was going on.
1: No way!
0: So I pulled up and they were breaking the fight up, and we were watching it in the car. And I checked my bags, and they the cops had come and they put hush them inside. Uh, yeah, so I knew like so. I, that's the first time I ever heard of him. So le- the other night I'm on bed, I'm I'm in bed, and I've been reading a lot about Takashi Six Nine and a lot about the Last Dance, and I am just stuck in like in like. Ebonics reading, like meaning I've been reading a lot of Black Twitter being like, yo, uh this be what? Like what what W A T, like this be what be gone. Like, it's just it's so heavy that I get stuck on this word. And I'm like, is this like a new slur for like women? A show, a show. She's a shio, a shio, she's a black and red throwback shio. I go, oh, yeah. it's a black and red throwback shoe. I'm reading it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm
0: like Yo.
1: <laughs> Oh, you're, you're learning. You're getting oh. I'm,
0: I'm I'm just so wrapped up in reading about these two things that like I'm just caught and now I'm not even reading words right. I read oh. Shio and I was like, Shio Ho, Shio, a throwback Shio. Oh my god, that's so fucking funny, oh. man. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, I'm obsessed with Takashi 6 9 The fact that he went in, snitched on everyone, that everyone wrote him off. And then Don, you know Donnell was the first one to tell me, he's like, he will come back and be the biggest thing in music. And I was like, really? He was like, yup. You know what Donnell said? Donnell mm-hmm. said, uh, white people buy music, Bert. Like, black kids do not buy music. He is selling to white kids. And that is who are going... 13-year-old white kids do not give a fuck if you snitch.
1: I mean, here's what I understand about that whole thing, right? Because I was listening. Do you listen to the Joe Budden podcast? It's fucking great. I
0: listen and to it, fucking everything.
1: Yeah, and, and they just talk about, you know, having like, gone hip hop. I fucking love Joe Budden. And, and they were, you know, one of the guys on their mall was like, you know, saying, you know, this kid snitched. And meanwhile, these guys who are actually with that life are in jail. I'm like, yeah, which makes, in my mind, they're worse than him. They were doing worse things than snitching. Like, snitching, in my mind, is not the worst thing you can do, committing a That's crime. Is much worse than ratting on somebody. And also I look, I'm going to lose all my cred that I don't have while wearing my goat fest T-shirt, but always snitch. always fucking snitch. Because there was a kid who went to jail named TK and I remember TK right after Tikdashi 69. He's in jail for 54 years. He kept it real and didn't snitch. 54, never around a woman again, years of your life. He's 19 snitch there's snitch. no one I wouldn't snitch on I would snitch on every person I love immediately to get out of fucking jail all right or even three years think about it who wouldn't you snitch on no one nobody 100% I nobody snitch. I wouldn't snitch
0: on my kids like, I don't I, have
1: kids I don't have kids yet so I can say that but everybody else Let's like, say out.
0: my kids say my kids say Leanne and I got divorced and then one of my kids started dating a waiter in Brentwood and I put on some black gloves and came down and cut the waiter in her throat, just like OJ, just like OJ. As, you,
1: as As you gotta do
0: sometimes. And then my kid called me and said, Dad, I killed Nicole and Ron Simpson. Ron, Ron what you call it? I don't know what to do. I'd be like, don't worry, I'll go to jail for you. I would do in a heartbeat. Like that's that, one of the theories I is that- I believe
1: that, that. I, I heard heard daughters, go. yeah.
0: And I would definitely go to jail for my kids. I'd go to jail for the rest of my life. If my kids did something horrible, and they fucked up and and i knew that i could go to jail and take the blame for it and i knew that it wasn't like something like i've been molesting kids dad i'd be like well, we need to get you help like
1: right right like it's not gonna it's not like because that's a weird thing with like I, I again on these like you know crazy podcasts which they interview like rappers or something like what if you live near a serial killer they're like wouldn't snitch. I'm like so you're cool with them just killing other people like so their theory that.
0: is they would deal with it. By the way, I I'm, I really do think the hip hop community's view on snitching is a tad bit one sided. I, I like it's idiotic. Like, it's the dumbest thing
1: I've ever heard. Yeah, if, I
0: mean I've snitched so quickly on people. I was telling someone the other day. I was like, when we were freshmen in college, my our first summer, me and Jeff Hartley, the cops raided our room and we had beer and they took the beer and that's it. They didn't arrest us. They just took the beer out of our hotel room. We're like, well, we lost a case of beer, and then this kid came by that we didn't know was like some burnout kid. And he was like, fuck them, fuck them. Huh? Like in our hallway. And we're like, yeah, well it's fine. Like in our heads, we were like, yeah, but we just lost the beer. We're fine. And the cops came back and arrested me, Jeff and this kid. And they took us down to the Tallahassee, not to, but the Florida state police department, they had us out in the hallway. They brought me in first and they're like, you keyed our car. And I was like, what? And they're like, you keyed our car. And I was like, no, I didn't. And they're like, you did key our car. Well, We were getting the beer from you. You guys ran down before we got down to the car and you keyed our car. You wrote pig on it. And I went, we definitely didn't do that. Like I go, we were grateful that you didn't arrest us for the beer. And they're like, now you're definitely arrested for the beer and you're arrested for keying our car. And I was like, hold on. And I kept saying, sir, I was never brought up to like, like fight authority. You are right. I am wrong, but I will stand up and say, I didn't key your car. And he was like, bullshit. We're going to get to the bottom of this put me in the hallway with the stoner kid and Hartley, brought Hartley in and the stoner kid's like, what's this about? And I go, they said we, I, that we keyed their car. And he was like, nah, I keyed their car. Oh, I'm oh, fucking with you. And I keyed their car. <laughs> they came out with Hartley and I went, he keyed the car. And the kid's like, what are you doing? And I go, <laughs> fuck you, dude. I don't know you. Like, I'm not going to go to jail because... <laughs> Alright, but well, hold on. Let's back up
1: for a second. I'm going to have to call you on something. You didn't have to stitch him out. They had no proof who no fucking shit? Why would you key a fucking cop car? I am with you. That's you. Broken forever. You no. You extracurricularly ratted that kid out. That's it how quick come.
0: I snitch. That's how quick I snitch. I folded so quick. I was like, he keyed the cop car, and they were like, what? And I go, he did it. He did it. And he was like, dude, I just told you. I was like, fuck you, dude. And so I can I see I this is burnt up. during the 1940s in Germany. They go, you have any Jews in your house? They're like, no but they do across the street. Listen, man. No, (laughs) I'll tell you what, man. I'll tell you right now. It's, it's funny because when the, the me too thing is the closest thing, you know, to like what we can experience with what was the, the red scare of like Hollywood turning quickly on, on simply allegations that did not have
1: to be proven. Dude. Fucking terrifying. So fucking scary, man. I
0: I felt exactly like Bill Burr did where I was like, you can't just allow people to throw accusations out and then that ruins someone's career. Like there has to be proof. What about whatever happened to a burden of proof? And Bill Burr went up on Conan and said that. And I felt that I wasn't even tweeting that shit, man. Like I I'm a coward when it comes to that. Like I like those hills to die on. Like I'm, I go in my head. I'm like, I'll say it on a podcast. I'll say whatever I'll say it like this, but I'm not going to tweet out like and get on these, Internet fucking wars with people. Like, as just, soon as
1: you make any statement, it's just like fuck you fuck you fuck You, fuck you. you know, it's just like you're just. Uh, I don't know how people even know you said it. It's like they search somebody else's name or they look like,
0: at who. Yeah, and whatever and fuck you talk about, you're wrong about. Ultimately, like, like look at the COVID nineteen thing. Everyone's saying right now, uh, our civil liberties are getting infringed on. We need to go out. We need to go out and 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 support these businesses. Go out and and pe- businesses are like, fuck this. Like they're marching, man. I don't say anything cuz I don't know. And I, and the way I was raised was like shut your mouth if you don't if you do not have a if you are not 100% certain that this that you are right about something, shut your fucking mouth and listen. That's my dad, my whole fucking life. How, how about this? And this should go
1: for people who are in all walks of life. If you've never taken a college chemistry class, don't talk about viral spread cuz yeah. you, you couldn't know less about it. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't know less about it. So when, that's like, that's like so many things. And that's why I don't discuss like a million foreign policy things. Cause I don't want to take on the burden of learning about it. I don't want to just be like, Oh, we should definitely go there. And then I'm like, they're like, because then all you need is some guy who's usually European who knows the other side. And you're like, what about when America did that? And you're like, I didn't know we did that. Uh, dude, fuck. I don't want to go do, do the research. So let's not talk about this.
0: I read a book about Kim Jong-un. I listened to it on tape, but, uh, And I I fucking know a great deal about Kim Jong-un. I would say more so than my wife, right? Or more so than the average person. I read a book or I read a book on him. (laughs) I don't fucking, I talked to Tom about him and it was, I was crazy that Tom didn't even read the book and he knew more about Kim Jong-un than I did. And I was like, once again, Bert, shut your fucking mouth and listen. Like I don't listen enough, but man, I'll tell you what, I, I, People will always say I don't listen well. I'm a really bad listener. But man, you need to applaud me for the times I didn't fucking speak because there's a lot of them that I've had. <laughs> you like you think what I said was dumb.
1: You should have heard what I was saying. And
0: you think I'm a moron? You I you sh- I gotta fucking put that in my act. You think I'm a fucking moron
1: now? You imagine hearing all the shit I edited? Right, 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 right. No, it's so true, man. And goddamn, the times that... There's nothing worse than getting into heated discussion with somebody and then realizing midway through, like, I have no idea if I believe in my own argument. And you're like, midway through, like, throwing down. This is when you're like, fuck, I'm wrong. But I can't back out of this argument now.
0: You should... I gotta... You should hear the stuff I don't say and edit out. I... I have. I'm just recently started writing again. I've had a really hard time with creativity.
1: That's interesting. I was going to ask you that. Cause I, I have the same I've been writing like nonstop in this movie. Like I told you I'm writing, but stand up. My brain is a million miles away. I don't I just, I can't write about, I don't know. I'm just not having those thoughts right now. It's weird. It
0: just started. It just started. I just started writing, uh, this week ish. You know, a lot of it was for me as I haven't been partying. And, uh, and I think that I needed a couple days to party to kind of loosen up. I get really in my head, you know, like, I wonder how much of my drinking is to shut the fucking overthinking or insecurities up. Cause I, I really get in my head. And I, I, I think sometimes it's bizarre, man. Like I do, I don't, I don't like, I love being hung over. Like is crazy. I think my blood sugar goes off and I feel, I think differently. I think, quicker i think bizarre like and i'm not hungover i'm not hungover. i haven't drank this week but um but like sometimes when i'm hungover my brain will hear things differently like i heard i was at a party not a party but it was me and my sisters and someone used the word also but they used it it was interesting i misheard the use of the word also so like they were saying this guy uh this guy was this this and this also he was a racist but i heard it is inclusive of like he was also a race like we're all racist he's also a racist <laughs> and i was like what a fucking bold statement to think that i'm racist just cuz i'm white and and then i was like and but i love mishearing things i <laughs> mishear things all ah oh, the- that is uh, so
1: fucking funny also
0: yeah <laughs> But but I need I I just recently started um I just recently started writing again where where I'm thinking funny and I think I was I think I was dealing with a little bit with depression um you know I I mean I I, all of a sudden we go into fucking the fucking lockdown my special airs I can't do any press for it so that kind of shuts me down I have no insights on how it's performing because it's Netflix I am not in public no one's recognizing me to say. Like when my last special aired, I was walking in the streets of New York and I got stopped every ten feet, like, dude, the machine it was like crazy, so there was like a payout and then you'd go in and do press, and
1: everyone you you were interacting you like you'd get like a barometer like of what's going on
0: yeah and you like and you're on the front page of Netflix, man, everyone knows who the fuck you are
1: dude I mean I was you know I was actually just kind of talking to my fiancee uh, you know who's in the other room, before I did this, and then uh, she knew who you were and I said. Yeah, it's like go, oh, yeah, he's the guy in Netflix with his shirt off. She goes, oh yeah, yeah, I see all the time. And then I had to explain like, oh, I've known Bert, you know, fuck, whatever, fifteen years or whatever it is. And it's like, man, like you, you have become so famous and just beloved. And as as guys have Theo have and, and Tom Segura and but you and Theo, I've known so for so long. It's kind of like it's amazing to see, you know, and, and, and I really appreciate you having me on the podcast and you're still no, such course, a nice supporter, nice guy, but it's like, it, it's kind of interesting. You go to the comedy store and obviously Rogan's on this fucking godlike level, but like you hanging around with guys like you and Rogan, it's like, and everybody feels like peers because comics have this natural humility. And then you're like, Oh no, that guy's like crazy famous. Like that guy is like people dress up like that dude for Halloween, you know? And <laughs> what, how do you get that around your head? Like, is it, is it is it weird? Does it feel different when people are stopping you in the street, or you're like, "This is what I was trying to get," or do you just feel like, eh, "This is just a part of something"? I don't know. I, I gotta.
0: I mean, I, I I the other day I was actually thinking about how to respond to a question like that because I know that I know how Burr and Rogan and Segura and oh, I know how most people reply to it. For whatever reason, as a comic, I always try to reply from a very honest, vulnerable place where I go, where I really think about it. I guess ultimately, the short answer would be: you, I guess that you don't let that register in your life about how you feel about yourself when you wake up, and like you look at and like and you, it, it doesn't really register that often. Is the right answer to say? But the truth is, it feels fucking really good. Like it feels really good when, like, That's like of, yeah. I was saying to someone the other day, like I still get very moved when someone um, takes the time to do like a, a, a fan piece of art. Like I, I get so excited
1: about that shit like when oh, you dude, it's it's incredible it's incredible and, and it must be something that after a while like hopefully you never learn to take for granted but it's like somebody is so moved by something you because here's here's where i where i it's it, and i didn't mean to cut you off what no, you're saying, no. but, but, it, but it's, it's it's such an interesting thing with the com- comedy evolution you know and i'm on a different side of it, you know and i'm like we all try to figure out how to be funny right and then we think okay if i could just if people could see them, that i'm funny they'll put me on that tv show right and then they, you put that in your TV show because I'm funny. Uh, they'll like give me a special. they give you a special. Right? So we all learn how to be funny enough to get those things if you're lucky. Not everybody, but if you're lucky. But then there's this thing that no one thinks about until you're in a position where like, what if once people get to see me and laugh at me, don't become my fan? What if, they, what if I'm not whatever it is that gravitates an audience, you know? And these are dark thoughts that I have now where I'm like, I've been doing this 15 years. Pretty fucking funny, I think. Like I go up on stage to the best club in the world and I get laughs and I but like where's the fan base? You know? What what am I, you know, what where where is that? You know, and, and I and Woody Allen's one of my favorite, you know, stand-ups from back when he was in I, he he did a book about it. I also listened to the audio, but he was talking about that's there's this indefinable quality of whether or not people will embrace you or not. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's like either It exists or it doesn't, and unfortunately, you won't know if it exists or it doesn't until you put in all the legwork to get to the place where people are actually seeing you. You know, and it doesn't mean it never will. It might. It just means something. You have to just wait. You can't. What can you do? You know.
0: I mean, take a look at my career. I I was like you were thinking. I was at a place going like, so maybe like every project I'd ever done failed, like every one of them. And I could still work like I did travel channel. I did birth conquer for two seasons. First season went great, but no one really told you that. Like they, uh, now I know it did well, it did well, but no one really celebrated. because so we had a change of presidents. And then, and then we did a second season and then they canceled it and then change of presidents. And they brought me back and my shows were always low rated, but they did well in ad sales and people liked me. So I was like, I learned to be very likable and friendly and get jobs that way. But all those shows tanked. And then, They kept tanking, but I kept working. And I just was like, oh, it's because I'm a nice guy. Like, I'm not really all that talented, but I'm a very nice guy. And I would just keep being a nice guy. And then, and my stand up, I like, I killed in clubs, but I was like, I guess I'm not that original. Like, maybe, I I don't know. Like, I'm murdering. I think I'm. And I know Tom is one of my, is my, probably my best friend. Tom is, was always saying, like, God, you're so fucking funny. And I was like, he's not saying that. He wouldn't say that if he didn't mean it. Right. Ian Bag wouldn't say it if he didn't mean it, and I was like, and the club owners wouldn't say it if they mean it. But I guess maybe I'm just derivative. I don't know. And then, and then all the and I just did my whole career that way, just going. It's okay. I'm making a living. I it, you don't need. To, I, we, I said this to Dan Cummins. We said it the other day. We don't all need to be Kevin Hart. We just all need to like. If I can make a living, I'm comfortable with it. Yeah. And if I can only make a living because I'm a friendly guy and people like working with me, and I'm and I can also get the job done competently. Then I guess what what is the difference between maybe that and then like a really good bricklayer? Like ultimately, you maybe make more money. It's you easier make job. more money,
1: and you have probably you have more fun. Yeah, I, I've always kind of thought that. But what did you? I, I have to ask you that, like, because obviously I just want to know this for selfish reasons. Did you change something in your performance and in yourself, or was it just things started to people? Because I have the same thing. I'll go into a club, right? And it's kind of depressing for me to tour now because when I first started touring, I was like, okay, I'm going in on murdering. So when Crackers has me back next year, more people will come. No. Didn't happen. Never happened. Doesn't happen. It never happened. I go on bottom top for 10 hours. Yeah. Come back, less people at the show. No one it, nothing builds. And you're and then I see, yeah, you you were a guy like that. In San Francisco, when I was starting the punchline, you were a guy who would come to the green room, the B Club. And and I was like, oh, I guess this is. I didn't even know who you were, but I was like, I guess this is just one of those road guys who does the other clubs that isn't going anywhere, you know. And and then and, and, and then now that I'm, a, I'm aware, it just means your agent has an in with this guy instead of that guy, and it all this. No, no,
0: no, no. My, my, by the way, I was booking that on my own. It was that Steve Grove owned that and last Unlimited. Yeah. That was two right, right. Steve Grove. <laughs> That's
1: right but 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 did you do anything to, to change your because my mom is so funny god bless her when i when i tweeted i, I text her i go look at what joe coy just did you know headline the, and my mom goes like like as if this is what stands me, me and me and joe coy doing the fucking basketball She goes she goes he's more personal than you when when he talks about on stage i'm like
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> i would i would i would I love your mom i wouldn't listen to her um
1: <laughs> i was like yeah that's all it is that's sure.
0: The I think first of all, I think I, I don't I really don't have a short answer for that. I have theories. I think yeah. I think I stopped I stopped. I, I know for a fact, I know for a, a very, very like precise fact that I was sitting in that chair right there behind my desk when my whole world fell apart. And I did not have anything. I like I say fell apart, it wasn't that bad, but I was supposed to do this tour for Funny or Die, uh, the oddball tour, and I got all my dates pulled. i had canceled my whole, like, fourth quarter, all shows, to do this one tour. I was gonna do it with Segura, Eliza, Sebastian, Fluffy, like, the whole group, and all my dates got pulled. I didn't do one of them. So I didn't have, now I didn't have work from September to December. I didn't have anything lined up. I, uh, got fired from Travel Channel. We were redoing our house. Like, our house was it was a piece of shit back then, it was great. I mean, it was like, a great house. It was a house. but it was like a piece of shit. and then we you know, I got above myself, and I was like, we can redo it. Let's redo it. Let's make it nicer. And the second we decided the second we started demolition, I lose my job at travel Channel. That tour gets pulled away from me. Leanne wants me to get a vasectomy. All this I get super sick. And then, I mean, I remember, and I just remember vividly there's moments in your life, I think, that you'll go for whatever reason. I I remember where I remember the small things. I remember what I was wearing. I remember the sweatshirt I was wearing. I remember the I was getting ready to get on the treadmill and I was talking to Tom and I was sitting there and I had my arms down and I had the phone on the on the desk and I had him on speaker. And he was like, It's he was like, That's gonna suck. Lose losing the funnier die tour. And I was like, I know. And I was like, Well, not totally. It wasn't like it was a ton of money. And he goes, Are you kidding me? And I was like, Well, no. It was and I go, I I don't even know if I was gonna break even to be honest with you i gotta pay for flights and hotels and he's like they may they're making you pay for flights and hotels cool. it's like yeah. by the way yeah hold on dude you want to talk about you want to talk about the bottom dropping out right now i just lost 12 gigs to this live nation tour and he's like hold on what were they paying you and i told him and he told me and all i will say is that his not only had another zero on it but it was like exponentially more than me it was like 20 times what i was being paid and I was and what, like, what year was this this was um i, I can tell you almost exactly um, that
1: must be so interesting for you because i know you've been friends with tom for a long time and as i understand your careers you are quite a bit ahead of him for a long time because me and tom have the same manager and so i would go into meet with josh and you know i'd be like oh i gotta sell the tv show and i'd be like you have tom's new you know submission tape and so i always kind of knew tom was a super funny guy who was just on the road a lot, you know. But I never really saw him around L.A. And I always knew this guy was hilarious. And you know, uh, And then he's 2016, huh?
0: December. It was. It was in December of 2016. Wow. And so and so I, the phones like the phone is right on the desk right here. And he says, "I said, wait, what are you getting paid?" And he goes, "Oh, I don't want to tell you." <laughs> and and I said, Tom tell me he goes that you got to promise me this isn't going to fuck up our friendship and I was like I promise and he told me and it was more money than I was I had ever gotten paid for anything television for like an episode for stand-up for anything it was so much money that I I was confused by it like I didn't know that they were even had that in the budget mine was so small what I was getting paid was so little that I was like oh my god and I sat there and I literally Got off of the phone with them and I sat there and I re-evaluated, reevaluated everything. I reevaluated every aspect of what was important to me. And at the same time, Byrne Rogan had pulled me aside and said, Hey, man, just so you know, this is probably, they said this probably in like September, August. They're like, Your travel channel show sucks. Like, you should just be doing stand up. And I was like, What? And they're like, You're too good of a stand up to, to be wasting your time on television. They're like, get out of stand, get out of fucking travel channel, get it stick, focus on stand up. focus on the podcast, do the shit where the fans are. The fans are not watching travel channel. They're not selling tickets. It's not converting. They're like, get fans are listening to podcasts and fucking coming to shows. And so I was, and then all of a sudden all this happened and I just, I had this like epiphany of going, I'm just going to make, I'm going to do, I'm going to lean into uh, Instagram. I learned how to edit videos and like, put music and make videos look kind of cool. I go and I and I I'd seen a bump that if I promoted videos for if I made videos to promote tour dates, I would see a spike in ticket sales. Like I would see a boost in ticket sales and I was like, "Okay." And I had also learned Doug Benson at that time taught me about a thing called Google Trends. This is all this like weird moment in time in 2016 where I didn't sell any tickets in St. Louis. Doug Benson and I got into a big fight on stage. I mean, everything in my life was falling apart at this time. Everything. And um and I I just started going and like no one not not no one cared about me, but like my agents, my managers were all kind of like I don't really know, like no one knew what to do. Like we'll get another deal. We'll we'll go to A&E. We'll go to E. We'll go to we'll we'll find you another TV show. And They're I just, just
1: kind of keep trying to do the same thing.
0: That isn't working. I, I mean, I, mean I, I love Judy. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a site on Judy. And it definitely is not a slight on Reg. Because I think Reg was so young in the business that I think at the time, he was still trying to figure it out. Like we, and, and all of a sudden, I, I remember I had done a Showtime special. No one watched it. Like it was all this culmination of all these things where I just was like, fuck this. I'm just going to do what I feel is right. I remember I had a television deal at the time. And everyone's like, you need to focus on the TV deal. This TV deal could be something. It could be, and I felt like, I remember going like, I don't, this is going to sound crazy. I had a development deal and I remember saying, I don't care. Like, I don't care because I know, the one thing I know is that I will spend a lot of energy on that and it'll go nowhere and I'll right. be deflated. But I, thought, I actually
1: remember this development deal you're talking about.
0: Because I, I remember it was like, yeah, it was around 2016. Yeah. I, I remember seen it on a deadline. And I remember going, I don't care about it. I really genuinely- did not care, like thoroughly did not care, and I, I remember they called Leanne and Tom and I started doing the fat shaming thing around this time, and all I noticed was that there was traction, like like that for the first time in my life, I would go on Twitter and it wasn't like five mentions, it was like twenty, and I was like, that's odd, and 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 there was all people busting balls with me and Tom, and my interactions were getting tons of retweets, and then I posted a video and it got and this was back then when I had like thirty thousand followers on instagram and it got like it got like nine thousand views and i was like whoa, that's good like i remember being like and then i remember rogan texting me and was like that video is hilarious and i was like oh thanks and then tom would be like dude that video is fucking great and then i just was like all i cared about was t- walking around with this fucking camera i had this camera everywhere i went and i was filming everything and i was finding every way to like i remember i put pinstripes on my friend's car and i put and like just as a prank, like just set up a camera and put pinstripes on their car and then revealed them not noticing it. And I thought that was so funny. And all of a sudden everyone's like, dude, you putting pinstripes on their car was hilarious. I, I mean, it was like any technology that came out. I was like, I'm getting on vine. I'm getting on whatever. And I just looked at everything as like the way I looked at comedy and where like, my mind's always open for a joke. I was like, everything is a promotion. Like everything can sell tickets. If yeah. Isla lays on her back and wants me to squirt water in her mouth from the, from the refrigerator water spigot, I will do that. I'm going to film it. And at the end, when she gags or chokes and we all laugh, I'm flipping the camera on myself and I'm mentioning a tour date. So I had all my tour dates in my head, like on rotation. I could name any place I was going to be, name the dates, name the shows added, Name the, t- I could name everything. And we did, we did, our deadline for the special was sometime in like late December and it was ramping up. And the, the weight loss thing was a weight loss challenge that me and Tom decided to do in December that was going to pay off January 1st, 2nd, and 3rd on Rogan's podcast. And my, and Judy and Reg called Leanne and they were like, you need to get Bert to ignore this fucking weight loss shit and focus on this deadline for the pilot. And Leanne's like, you guys don't know bert he is obsessed with this weight loss thing this is all he'll be doing he does not care we did the weight loss thing and on december 28th my my machine story went viral and all of a sudden everything spiked at the same time on google trends you can see a huge jump because the machine story is going viral i'm on rogan january i think 2nd 3rd and 4th doing weight loss with tom we we're, were it was like it was like this huge Point. I went the next week, and by the way, by the way, I will say this: the one thing that has paid dividends for me was just this like real honest perception of either where I am or what I'm going through, and not trying to like write it or script it. Whatever for whatever reason, everything that's worked for me as being me being total honest. I remember who I went to, I had three gigs lined up. I had Portland, I had Buffalo, and I had. Um, uh, 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 fucking Vinnie Brands Club in in Jersey, right? Uh, what is that? Uh, fucking. i was It's crazy that I know Vinny's name before I can say the club. I know. I'm
1: fucking blanking on it, but yeah, I know exactly.
0: yeah, I had four. I had three gigs lined up. I'll tell you exact fucking numbers. I love exact numbers. They're always so fascinating. Guarantees of ten grand with five hundred dollar bonuses. So a ten thousand dollar guarantee. bonuses. Now, everyone listening to this as a comic will say, Bert, this wasn't the lowest part of your life. And I'll tell you this right now. It was because I knew that my ticket sales based on these three shows were going to dictate what the rest of my year looked like. Because I didn't have one gig booked after these three shows, right? I had tentative lineup, like tentative things. But if these went well, then I knew that I could get a guarantee of 10 grand. And that was a lot. That's a lot of fucking money. Okay. I mean, that,
1: like, that is a, for me, where I've gone that's like, oh, so you're going to do 10 different tours? <laughs> I mean, that's, a, <laughs> that's it's like a, a fucking it
0: was, lot. It was so much money for me, but it was based off the fact that everyone thought my Showtime special had been a success, and it had not. So we had, right. we had booked these dates based off the premise that, you know how you'll soft sell at the clubs? No, his Showtime special did amazing. It's right, going to be right. big numbers. You'll see. Everyone else, everyone else was like $6,000 guarantee, which still is a lot, for the record, as a comic. Six thousand dollars for a weekend is a lot of fucking money. Yeah, any yeah. comic, there's ninety eight percent of the comics that will take six thousand dollars in a fucking heartbeat.
1: 100 percent, hundred percent. guys who you think are fucking stars, yeah, I give like, oh, you like comedy. Oh, well, the no fucking really want that six grand. <laughs> so, um,
0: so I I had a bunch of those lined up with Stroop, like Stroop, had guaranteed a bunch at six grand versus not even a versus. I want to say. Or maybe, oh no, it was six grand versus like 65% of the door or something it was really yeah. low, but like. And I went to the first, uh, the first weekend I did was at vinnie Brands Club and it sold out. And I remember going off the stress factory. Yeah. Stress, stress factory. That's right. I did the stress factory and it sold out. And Vinny came back. Jim Florentine was in the back and he goes, dude, you sold the fucking weekend out? And I was like, no, 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 no. It's, it's papered. And he was like, oh, okay. And then Vinny came back right before the last show and he was like, dude, I got a bonus you. I was like, what? And he was like, I got to give you more than like, I think it was like five five uh, like $2,500 or whatever, $1,500. Yeah. He goes, I got to give you more than that, man. I did great business this week. And he gave me an extra $1,000 and I took a hundred. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Then I went, there's a, there's a snowstorm. I sold out Buffalo. And after Buffalo, I was like, I want to renegotiate my deals. I renegotiated all my deals for the rest of the year. And it was like, and all of a sudden, in my head, business changed. I was like, fuck TV, fuck everything. My business is podcasts and the internet. I was like, I was like, and then I was like this other thing. I was like, dude, I was 100%. I remember I was so concerned about getting my beard shaved. Because that was part of the bet with me and Tom. Getting my beard shaved was like, Whoever lost the most weight got to shave the other person's beard. I was in therapy. Shout out to Dr. Wetter. I was, uh, <laughs> Dr. Wetter. I said to Dr. Wetter, I'm really freaked out about losing my beard. And yeah. Dr. Wetter said to me, and this was a, a shift in the way I saw things. He goes, I wouldn't give a fuck about losing the bet. And I went, what? And he goes, as a matter of fact, I'd throw the bet. And I went, what do you mean? And he goes, I- I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate say you lose right say you say you don't beat tom and i went yeah and he goes and tom shaves your beard i said yeah he said when they google that how do you think they're gonna google it and i went i don't know do you think they're gonna google um uh tom segura shaves guy or burt kreischer beard shave and i went oh they'll probably use my name and he goes i don't know man i think the camera's gonna be on you i think they're gonna google your name I think if you're talking business to me, I think that it, it does you better to lose the bet. And I went, that was like a real
1: fucking LA therapist. He's like, trust me. I used to be an actor. I was, trying
0: to- Dude, trying it was the best advice. Cause I went, I remember going like, okay. So now all of a sudden the bet was like, I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to get out of the, the BMI, but I, and I wanted to be Tom, but I didn't have this stress about it anymore. Cause I go, if I don't be Tom, then I just lose my beard. And then all of a sudden, I think more people will Google me, and I'll probably sell more tickets down the line because people will go, "Oh my god, I want to go see him live without a beard." Like in my head, right? right? Right. Very simple, very simple marketing. That would
1: make sense, though. It makes sense. I mean, and they know that like you're going to have bits about what it's like to can have it. You know, it's like yeah, without yeah. All all of a sudden,
0: so so when when I lost, and by the way, it's the hardest I've ever laughed was Tom shaving my beard, and 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 it went. It was online. It didn't go viral or anything. It wasn't like huge, but the camera is stuck on my face. Like, it's just like a very simple thing where I went, Oh, and then I just looked at it and I was like, okay, my, I I was like, I want to be on everything that I find that I think's cool. Fuck television. If I find something cool, I want to be on it. And I first person I reached out to was Sean Evans from hot ones. Hot Ones had just come out? And I said, your show's cool. I want to be on it. He was like, well, we don't do comics. We just do athletes and rappers, but I appreciate it. And I was like, well, dude, I'm a supporter. I'll I'll pimp your shit out every time I can. He was like, thank you. And then all of a sudden one day he called me up and he's like, hey, we're doing comics. You want to be on? And I was like, fuck yes. And so I just, fa- I just seeked out shit I found cool and, and, and was like, I'm just going to do that. And that is my business plan. And then, and that with this unwavering, like, like as broken as my idea may, as my ideas may sound, just be honest. Like, you know, like, what, like, it's, I'm, I'm sure that any therapist would go, this is wrong with Bert." He believes selfishness is a way to live life. Well, I don't know that there's anything wrong with... I don't know, but I just go... I'm just going to be honest and tell you my thoughts. And just yeah. whatever I thought was funny, it was like... I, mean, I remember people like didn't like the idea that I took my shirt off at the store. And I was like, yeah, man, I can't really fucking help you with your path. I can do my path. And then you got to rearrange, man. I can't... Look, if you can't follow me because
1: for whatever fucking reason, you can't follow a guy with his shirt off, I can't help you with that. And hey, comics, comics, the first ones... To shit on something like that. Not that yeah. particular, but I'm saying anything you do as a community to try to like brand yourself or stand out or anything comics hate. I remember in San Francisco when I was starting out, uh, a couple of years in, I thought, I'm gonna be this guy. I had this bright orange vest and I wore it one night and it did really well. I'm like, I'm gonna always wear my bright orange vest. And I did it for like three weeks. And you know, Moshe Kasher, right? Very funny comic. We used to all come to the, the San Francisco Punchline on Sundays. That was the local comic site, right? So I went up there in my orange vest. Fucking murdered, feeling good. Took my vest off, put it in the green room, hanging out, feeling good. Then Moshe comes up about 40 minutes later on stage, and he looks kind of fat. He's wearing, like, the sweater. He's kind of chunky. And then midway through his head, he zips down his sweater, and he has my vest on that I didn't even know he was still on the green room. And the whole crowd loses their mind. And all of a sudden, the guy who was funny is now the fucking idiot in the vest and never wore it again. It's like comics will do anything they can to fucking destroy your attempt to, like, you know... Separate yourself from the fucking herd, man. So it's, I applaud you for being like, "Fuck you, man! I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. This is who I am. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it." I think it was,
0: you know, I think that, I uh, you if you, it's like finding your natural voice and just going like, "I can't really." I, I also stopped trying to write. Like, if you look at my writing, I think obviously, you know, everything comes down to writing. But if you look at my old writing, I was really doing a derivation of what I thought would do well. In crowds. Like I was writing these, like, like I I had I never had the ball sue the machine story. And I, I think really honestly, a lot of what changed, a lot of it was me learning for five years how to tell the machine story. It changed the way I wrote jokes. It changed the way I looked at comedy in general. So all of a sudden, I didn't have a problem telling a a 13-minute story. And if I could if I didn't have a problem telling a 13-minute story, I really didn't have a problem telling a five-minute story. Like in a five minute story, any comic will tell you to lean into one story for five minutes is a long time.
1: Fucking hard. I mean, that is like, like Segura is one of my absolute favorite comedians. And like when I listen to Segura's bits, I'm like, fuck, man. Like I'm thinking about what Segura said about that for weeks because he really brings it out, you know, and that's yeah. something like, God, I don't know how to do yet. You know, I, I, I grew up like like worshiping guys like Tosh. Where I love these mean hard jokes, you know, and that was and tell quick jokes, you know. Yeah, me too. And now I would lo- I would love to be able to do what you and guys like you and Tom and Theo do with these like long stories, and it's like it's so fucking intimidating to me but to do that. Because you it's, have it's to hard, be real. It's hard
0: to find. It's really hard. I'll t- and for my experience, it's really hard to find your voice at the store because the story is just fucking. It's like the what is the motto for the. For the NCAA uh, tournament, uh, survive and survive and pass, pass and survive or
1: whatever. Like that's it, the- it's a sink or swim kind of feeling there. I mean, it's yeah. it's fucking it, yes, one hundred percent. But it's also like it's it it's finding your voice in the story form, right? Because I think to be a good storyteller, you have to be able to be vulnerable and a little realer than you have to be to tell jokes, right? Like Tosh can get up there and he can tell joke, joke, joke. And in my few offstage experience with him, he's a super nice guy. He's like such a nice guy offstage, but on stage he's got this character on, you know, and it's hilarious. And I love him. He's one of my favorite comics, still one of my favorite comics, but yeah. to do a story, you have to break away from that a little bit, you know, and you have to kind of like, I don't know. It's just something I don't know how to do comedically yet. I don't I'm still learning how to do it. And I can do it like on a, on a show, like, you know, small town throw I think I can be able to be myself. I think when I'm doing podcasts, I can be myself, but on stage, it's very hard for me to, to go away from that kind of persona that I've just sort of not intentionally, but just sort of always done, you know, which I think is not necessarily reflective of who I really fully am as a person at this point, you know. You and, know what I
0: would imp- I would say to everyone right now, because I think this is gonna happen. I would say to every comic in LA, fucking bounce out of LA and get an get a rental a one year rental at at, in like in like fucking Richmond, Virginia Beach, whatever fucking local club is has open and is doing 20% capacity. And get, get an apartment there and live there for a fucking year and do stand up every fucking night at one of those clubs. And I bet, I bet that would, I would bet my mortgage that, that would advance comedy more than anything is everyone separating and doing their own little workshops yeah. in Austin and fucking Omaha and just, just, and then all of a sudden the coronavirus lifts in like 10 months, we all come back to new- LA. It would be fucking insane for comedy.
1: You're right. Because people would separate and get their own things. Like this is funny. I was joking around with Theo I just started a new podcast this week and I was joking around with Theo. I was like, you know what I should do for a podcast? I should call it, this past weekend at Burt Rogan's mom's house and I just fucking like <laughs> just sort of make it like, you know, like just sort of like fucking, you know, I don't know, find some way to like take the topics that people talk about these and find my, my own thing. on. And I was like, that's not me. That's their shit. I just think the title's fucking hilarious. But yeah. like, there is a thing when you're at the store where like guys like you, Theo, Rogan, Tom, you guys are the fucking rock stars, you know, and people are looking at that and then they're sort of like, fuck that whole world. What's going on there? But everyone would serve themselves better, like you're saying, to Find your own thing, you know, separate and figure out what makes you special. Like Dan Cummins, who I fucking love, um, he's, he lives in Idaho, you know, and his career is way bigger than it's ever been before since he left LA, focused on his podcast and just sort of content, it seems to, to create his own universe as opposed to trying to like, you know, be a little sperm, trying to get into that comedy store egg, you know, which is so fucking hard to do. By the way, some guys thrive,
0: like Burr and Rogan thrive with the... I wouldn't say competition, but like the, they thrive in that, in that place where, where everyone's up, everyone's trying to like subtly top the guy behind them. Everyone's like, everyone's writing, they're watching, everyone's going in the OR. The, the fucking, the mentality of the store is great for a lot of people. And I gotta be honest with you, it's, it's really great for me at times. But I would be a person that, say, I moved to Key West for a year, which I would love to fucking do. (laughs) Oh, and I just did stand up every night drinking cold beers at fucking Sloppy Joe's. And I just ran an open mic that was like two hours a night at like sunset. I would, dude, I would come out. I would come out of there a power fucking house. Like I would, because I, I would, it would allow me, would, that is what The Road did for me. The Road taught me how to do stand-up really intensely is that like, I got to this place where I could go in and and once you started selling just a few tickets, you didn't need to sell a lot of tickets, just a few tickets, just a few, like sell 20 a night, 20 a show. And then all of a sudden you got a little bit of a fan base that's going to go out on a limb with you. And then you got enough strangers where they're like, where they're like, I'll tell you if this is really funny. Is like, that's where I learned how to write more stories. And I had all these jokes where I was like, I, could, I had still had this mindset where I was like, it's got to, it's got to get there quick. I can't make a meal out of this. But yeah. I, I am going to allow myself because I do have these 20 people that will listen. I'm going to allow myself a little more time to breathe, dude. I think I would love, I would love my buddy. My, one of my buddies is a movie producer. And he I said, I, I was frustrated because I, I couldn't buy a house. No, no. I could buy a house. Can I buy a house? Yeah, I could buy a house. What was I frustrated about? I was frustrated about something because it seemed, Oh, it seemed like he was doing better so much better than me. I was like, I couldn't get any traction with money. Yeah,
1: said, yeah. I'll tell
0: you the problem with you. And I, and it was so, he was a little drunk. We were in the ocean and he said, your life is a little too complex. Mine is very linear. I know that I go from one project to the next project to the next project. And then I look at each of those projects and go, what do I want to achieve out of this project? Well, on this one, I decided I wanted to have a rental property in Atlanta. So I took what I this money and I bought a place in Atlanta when I lived and I shot and I knew that there were some productions and then I have this rental property and we've rented it for a few years. And that's this thing that I knew I could achieve. The next one is that I said I knew I wanted a new house and I knew that if I, when I was living in London, if I just sized down my budget of what I was living in and I just saved money on spending in London that I could then afford to move my family into a new house. And that's what I did. He goes, you're not looking at life like that. You have so many feelers out that you're like, oh, I want to do this scripted project. I want to do this non-scripted project. I want to keep my podcast up and running. I want to be on the road. I got to write a new special. I want to write a book. He's like, you have too many feelers out. He's like, what's one thing you want? I said, I just so quickly goes, I want to live in Key West. <laughs> he was like, really? I go, I would love to live in Key West. I would love to. And then he just, in a, in a movie producer's mind, he was like, why Why shouldn't you? Why couldn't you? He was like, Let's, let's, let's think about this. He goes, what if I said Cuba? And I was like, I would love to live in Cuba. He goes, what if I said productions are going up in Cuba? A lot of people are producing movies in Cuba and you could go into Cuba and do a podcast out of Cuba and have movie stars that are in production in Cuba. As your guests, you'd get the biggest movie stars, the rock Dwayne, uh, 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 Vin Diesel. They're all shooting in Cuba. You can go down to Cuba. You can have them all on your podcast. And then you can run radio Cuba out of Cuba and do and you can do one nice stance, you can fly in and out of And I was like, oh my God. And he's like, see, that's the way I look at life. You're looking at it too broad. I just look very small and like micro at it of how I can accomplish things. And I was like, oh my God, that's my problem. I'm
1: all over the fucking map. I mean, even in that story, I'm all over the fucking map. But 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 here it gets interesting you're saying that because I feel exactly in that position now where like right now I'm you know, promoting small town throwdown, trying to get that show launched. I'm writing a movie. I, I got a sitcom that I write. And not just sort of like fuck around. Like I've got like, you know, I sold this movie and I got another script that's like optioned. And I'm like, do that. And then me and my fiance, who's a doctor, we do like a Loveline podcast. because She's like a dick surgeon. It's called, and we're like focusing on that. And I'm doing all these different things and trying to work on stand up. And I feel sometimes like what you're saying, like it's too many different things. And if I did like what Theo has done, I noticed in the last few years, which is just like focus on podcast, internet, standup, boom. You know, sky. But here's what I can't decide. Sometimes I'm like, well, if I could find out that I'm so much better at this than I am at these other things, I'll just do that. But right now, I'm sort of like, I'm good at stand-up. I've gotten success writing movies, gotten success doing this, but nothing's really, like, exploded. So how do I know that focusing all my eggs in this basket isn't a complete fucking mistake? Dude, and I focused
0: all my eggs in television for fucking nine years and was like this. I remember having a conversation with you on the store porch going, I figured it out. I figured it out. This is the fucking way you just got to sell productions. You, I've always said this, you are an amazing host. You have na- very natural host talents, whatever. You, you're so
1: nice. Cause you even said that back on rally Bites Back when i never hosted that, anything.
0: So <laughs> but you're awesome. like, you're like, you're going to be a, you're going to be like Jay Leno. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you're, such <a> <laughs> you're such a good host. You're such a good host. I've, I've just said that. I've said that. Thank you, man. Cause you're man. incredible at it. No, but I think I think I, I, I think I'm a good host. But I, I know for a fact that I'm i um, like I know what you're saying is I, f- I put all my eggs in the fucking non-scripted basket of like doing Travel Channel, and then all of a sudden one day I was like, I don't have a voice in this. I don't own the content. I think yeah. shifting to owning content, to putting your own content out, and I was like I, I and and I remember falling off a waterfall and reading the comments because I thought. In my head i thought this will go viral i fell off a waterfall now was hurt obviously but i was like this will be good business and people their comments were like weren't i can't wait to watch that they were dude get the fuck away from travel channel and just do your podcast and i was like what and they're like we don't care about your stupid show no one watches it like just do stand up and do your podcast that's all we care about i remember reading that i was in a fucking ambulance i remember reading that and going like hold on. Did I just fall off a waterfall for nothing? Like, have I been jumping out of airplanes? (laughs) you could
1: be drinking a fucking paps in your man cave. If people were going to like that more and here you are risking your fucking life.
0: Yeah. All all of a sudden, all of a sudden it just became super clear that I was like, and I remember bill and Rogan and Joe and Joey and, and Tom and Ari ever. I remember Ari definitively saying this, like just leaning. I remember Joey being like, dude, fuck this. Podcasting. He was like, "Fuck everything! It's podcasting," and we all just. I remember being like, "So you're telling me?" And then I started caring about my podcast. I started doing a little bit of research or giving a fuck about who I booked. Like I didn't even care. I was just get me a guest. I'd have guests that I didn't even know, and I would be like, "Just give me a guest, dude." And then I started caring. And once I started caring, oh fuck, get the fuck out! It was like it was so. It was and the podcast I think got so much better. It, like and. And then, and then I was like, and then, and, but then I got broken. If we're going to be honest, then I got broken. And so I was like, double down on podcasts. I'm going to do them. I'm going to add another one. Uh, uh, I'm going to do something's burning. I'm going to do the podcast. I'm going to do open tabs. And then I'm like, I'm going to do one with Segura. I'm going to do one with Burr. And then I, now I feel like I'm like, all right, man, you've done a lot of podcasts. Like what's the, like, now I'm like, like what, think out of the box. And, you know, just like those moments in life where you go, you go, "I'm I'm at my wits end. I'm at my bottom. Dude, when this. Pandemic started. I've never been more grateful for a podcast in my life. But I'm part of me is like, okay, so like, what's the next step? Like, say touring's taken away, which it, it is. That where that is for me, I'm like, okay, how do I get like podcasting's great? It yeah, I feel like I'm being creative. I'm it's helping me write. I go, what like, do I write a script? Do I like? Do I go back into this industry that I've kind of turned my back on and? and host a a game show or, or or do a non-scripted, do another non-scripted project or do, do a fucking multi-cam. Like what is the next step? And I'm trying to figure that out now, Mo, we're all as as
1: lost together. But but, but, what you said is so interesting because like, all right, so like small town throw down here, I've been working on this shit for so fucking long. I was working this with a different producer in 2017 who couldn't even get a pitch with discovery. Same fucking show. This is what I try to tell people like you have to be tenacious, and and that's what I love about comedians. Because it's like what you're saying, like you're already successful, you got all this, but your mind is already like, how the fuck? What else do I gotta do? You know, we're like, we're so we're so itchy, right? So I had gotten this, it took forever, right? So then 2017 didn't happen. Then I kind of gave up on it. I had sort of just sort of been like, and then one day I was talking to some other producers about projects that I never sold that I thought were great, and they're like, Oh, that's really good. We should try that. So now here we are, right? And we're just trying to get on TV. Yeah, we're finally getting it on TV, but if this thing doesn't do like a hundred episodes, it's been an incredible labor of love for no money. Because no, I know that's,
0: that's that's how you how you got to look at it. You ready for this? So no, I get done Travel Channel, I get done Travel Channel, and I am fucking. I can't. I can't even. I take out a bunch of pitches. I can't even sell a show. No one's interested in selling a show with me, and no one's definitely interested in me hosting a show. I've been in a network and been branded in a network that has been hang on one second.
1: Yup. But it's, it's a matter of ownership though. Cause like if for those five years, if you had just been building your own thing, now you have that and that's, no one could take that from you, you know?
0: So then, so then I get offered, I get offered an opportunity, uh, to, I, fuck them, whatever. I got offered an opportunity and I remember being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone said to me, you know, you basically. I think my manager, Judy might've said this, but someone said, You know, I'm looking at your Instagram and basically what you did is you just took a master's class in how to produce television. You just learned how to produce television, how to make content by watching content be made. You just spent nine years of your life figuring out how to make content. And I was like, yeah, hundred percent. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then I, and then I saw everything as like, just learn. Like I would go to Rogan's 10 minutes early because I knew he wasn't going to be there. And I just picked Jamie's brain or Red Band's brain at the time. I think it was, I think it was Jamie though. A whole time I think he's been on since we did that but i would just pick his brain about so like i mean jamie and i would talk about like i remember the first time i went in i wanted to talk about their their switcher they had so i went in a little early to kind of pick jamie's brain about it and jamie and i started talking about this guy casey neistat who i was fascinated with fucking fascinated and then i realized oh jamie is like a little bit more like me in that i can't what we are interested in are very similar a little bit of technology a little bit of content a little bit of production like and i was like oh wow and so i would go in this is i mean this is 2016 2017 2018 i'd go in and kind of just bullshit with jamie and kind of see where his head was at because it was like it was almost, i looked at it as like a master's class and then i would talk to right. Rogue about like what like the way i would perceive i, I did it to segura's all segura's people i went to do his podcast and I remember going like, what cameras you guys are like really getting curious about, about really about learning. And so when you say, if this doesn't go anywhere, it's been a, it's been a waste. It's not a waste. It's just, it's just a massive, it's, it's you learning. It's you learning how to take something from nothing, take an idea to a piece of paper, to a producer, to a pitch, to sell yeah. it, to make it to, and then, and then the next time you do this, you'll go, You know what I didn't like? I didn't like that we didn't have a director, or I didn't like that we didn't have hair and makeup, or I didn't like that we, like, and you go, we'll do this
1: again. Go ahead. I was going to say, and remind me to tell you a story about Judy, your manager, and and it involves me wanting you to apologize to her on my behalf for something that she probably doesn't remember ever happened. But um, you're still with Judy, right? Yeah. Okay. So speaking of things you learned, so Comedy Knockout, that show I created for True TV, right? Yeah. They didn't let me host it even though after we are, I walked out of shooting, hosting the pilot. And I said, I called my dad. And I said, that was the funniest I've ever been at any point in my life ever. Those host it? Never was clear to me. I was hosting a show on true TV at the time called Barmageddon. They were having me host every fucking special. I was doing commercials for them. I was their guy, you know, I was like true TV all the time. So I saw them the show while Barmageddon on. It was never, I was never funnier than I was in that moment. It was so fucking good, you yeah. know? And, and and then they go, we don't want to host it. And by the way, other people, we pitched them that they didn't want to host. 100% true. And uh, of course, they would never do it. We were just throwing out Rogan, Rob Riggle, Costa, Julian McCullough, uh, Dane Cook. I mean, people who would never in a million years do it. We were just throwing out names. So whatever. What are you going to fucking do? They didn't want me, right? It was crushing. But what I learned from that experience, what I learned... Just doing the contract of this, they give you two feeds, right? Hosting, EP. EP, you're locked to the series. Hosting, you're not. So if they're going to give you this chunk of money, put all of it over here and none of it over there. Comedy Knockout, my hosting, I lost up $1.5 million not hosting that show. $1.5 million I would have had if they would have just let me host it. And right when they were picking it up, my special was going out to Netflix. If they would have said yes, he's hosting that, I'm pretty sure they could have pushed the special. They could have got it on Showtime somewhere. No, bam, no, bam, no. So I ended up on fucking CISO, and now it's on Amazon, or whatever, like buried under a billion specials. Fucking brutal, right? And I still got the host, and I still made more money than I ever made doing anything, not a ton, but it was enough to, to allow me to kind of you know exist, or whatever. But like it was brutal. But now going into negotiating this again, you know what these things pay? It's not like a lot of money. It's like it's it's tv but it's not like big tv money but it's whatever it's great i'm lucky to have it but i, I understood at least that lesson where i'm like okay if you're gonna want to pay me this you need to put it all over here so that way if you say we don't want this guy to host fine I, this still pays me you know yeah. because it's so easy for them to do that i mean if you host your own show they're not like hey burkcast Cast, it's hosted by kurt fox now you know but they can do that when you don't own the shit anytime they want and i tell that to every comedian josh adam Myers. I remember telling him with his show, I go, make sure they don't do that to you. And he goes, he goes, no, nah, they won't do that. They fucking, I'm going host They go, okay, I hope you do. You didn't, right? Because somebody down the line goes, you know, we already got his idea. Why don't we get John Mayer to host it or Somebody bigger, you know, they don't really fucking care about you if they can up the product and up the numbers, you know? So it's, it's, you do learn. I mean, small town thrown out was lucky. I'm from a tiny town, so it makes sense. I'm going to host this thing, you know, and it was my idea. And so like, there's a, it's in, in, a little more intrinsic to me. Comedy knockout, anyone could host. I think we probably pitch you to host. You know what I mean? Like it could be yeah. fucking anybody. So it, it is a tricky thing. Um, it, it, but you're right. You, you have to look at life like that, right? And certainly this business, you do learn certain little things along the way to hopefully build you to where you are. So when's the, uh-huh. show, when's the show air? Uh, May 20th, 10 o'clock. On Discovery? Discovery Channel, yeah. The Discovery Channel, May 20th, 10 o'clock. Network, big network, man. And I'm doing the Josh Gates Tonight Show right before it, which last week got like 1.9 million viewers. And that's just him in his basement doing exactly what we're doing right now. And he's so, I don't know if you know, like, he's such a nice fucking dude. i never met him before. And uh, somebody on Super that, big
0: anti-semite. I mean, he, he is his <laughs> parents were big Nazi, uh, they were Holocaust deniers, and they used to. They used to are look you, for yeah oh their his parents were like L- no I'm totally lying I'm totally lying I'm totally <laughs> lying I'm totally fucking lying by the way he's the nicest guy in the fucking world <laughs>
1: no he's such a nice his guy parents, like look even if that was his parents I wouldn't necessarily hold it against him I would no, be no, like, no 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 his parents his
0: parents were like I think his parent if I'm not mistaken I think his parents were explorers like legit explorers like they're big uh, scuba people I think they were like treasure hunters or something oh that's
1: wild I didn't know yeah, that. yeah like and this is what
0: he comes at. Adventure and 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 like everything he's done, ca- very naturally. So it's good that he's succeeded. Yeah, I know he
1: was like an archaeology major or something like that. So he's yeah. you can tell. It's like I'm saying, like you can tell when someone is the guy who has to host that. Like they just know the thing. But what's pretty fucking cool about this is I'm writing articles in USA Today for each episode, two articles per episode. Uh, so I have a town coming out about uh, article coming out about Lubbock, Texas, known as the most boring town in America in Appleton, Wisconsin, known as the drunkest town in America. And so it's like, I used to write a column in high school and that was like my big thing. It was called, it was so pretentious. It was called Fending Off the Locusts. And it was just the most pretentious fucking bullshit. But it was good and people liked it, you know? And I, I this is my fucking showman moment. I gave the, the speech in our graduation, not for being smart, but just because, I, I don't know, I, for some reason because of my column, I got to give the speech, you know? And I fucking worked in it and that, my last speech was like, my last line was here. We are today about to go out and deciding fending off the locust. <laughs> oh, working it in there. Meanwhile, total virgin wasn't going invited to the big party that night, but that was like my fucking big moment in the sun. You know,
0: you're the best man. You're
1: the best dude. Let me take, can I take this Judy story real quick? Yeah, please tell me the Judy story. Yeah. Okay. So this is like an interesting thing about learning human lessons, not industry lessons, human. lessons. <laughs> so this is, and again, apologize to Judy on my behalf. I already apologized to her after this happened, but I never know she ever remembered it or is still fucking mad about it. Or I saw it was so on. 2012, right? Weird year for me. Around 2012, I was on Chelsea lately all the time. I had gotten my biggest break ever the year before where I was one of the stars of that primetime sitcom on NBC called Free Agents. It was me, oh, yeah. Al Magical, Natasha Leggero, Joe LaTrulio, Hank Azaria, Catherine Hahn. How does that fail? You know It's an incredible fucking cast. If you don't know those names, Google, they're fucking great. And it was, it was the same year Whitney came out, right? And speaking of things you don't know about the industry, we get picked up for 13 episodes. So I know what I'm getting per, per episode. It's fucking more than I've ever gotten even close, you know, like almost twice as much. I'm talking to Al Magical and when the, and we hadn't shot all the episodes yet. We'd shot eight by the time, or about four by the time it started airing and it was tanking. And people are like, oh, what if they cancel us before we even get through this 13? And Al goes, ah, oh, I talked to my lawyer. I'm guaranteed all the money. I go, really? I call my lawyer and I go, wait, I'm not guaranteed all the money. I go, but Al is. He goes, no, he's not. It doesn't exist. He goes, he's not. he's not guaranteed that." And I go to Al. He goes, yeah, no, I am. I go, okay. And then I talked to Al afterwards after he got canceled, after we shot eight, he goes, yeah, you, you know, you got canceled, right? So anyway, that brings us up to it got canceled after four episodes, which is fucking brutal man you think you finally made it i mean literally the day it got canceled i go to the comedy store walking down the fucking around the parking lot i see i happen to realize i'm walking in between Crystalia getting interviewed by tmz right so they're here there i walk right in the middle without realizing and they're saying so i hear the reruns of whitney are replacing free agents (laughs) oh wow i was just like i I went to this huge depression right so i was just like I was like, bitter. I was angry. And, and I, and I, and I, and I didn't know it at the time, but I look back at my behavior around that time. and I was like, yeah, you didn't handle that. Well, you know, you didn't handle that. Well, right. So at one point I was doing Chelsea lately and Lonnie love was on and Lonnie would always kind of like bash me and make little jokes and whatever. And, and one time she tried to kiss me on the show. It was like, you know, it was like kind of thing. Right. So she was really, uh, kind of anxious about an episode because she was going to plug her book, you know? And, uh, and so she, everyone goes, Blondie's gonna plug her book. She's gonna tell everybody it's under their chairs at some point, right? So I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna make an Oprah joke or something like that, you know? But I didn't really respect the fact that this is a big thing for Lonnie. She's plugging her book and she's plugging the show The Real, which is still fucking on, right? So I was like, I didn't realize that she just it has nothing to do with me. Just shut the fuck up, let her have the spotlight, right? So of course she plugs the book and I and I make some little joke. Like, oh man, fuck it, isn't that Oprah's move or something like, or like, uh, like, you know, like, I was like, oh, you fucking hack. like Just joking around, but it didn't, it got laughs, and, I, and everyone laughed or whatever. When I got on stage, I thought, oh, that did well. I did great. Lonnie was furious, I walked by, and Judy is there, right? Who I didn't, I had seen her many times, but because of my just noviceness to the business, I'd only been in LA three or four years at the time, I didn't know who she was. I knew Judy Marmel was the name, I knew Judy Marmel was a huge name in comedy and entertainment. I didn't know her face. Right. So I met her a million times there. I always thought she was Lonnie's publicist. So I walked backstage and Judy goes, who oh, I just think is Lonnie's publicist. She goes, and again, I thought it was funny. I thought he would be great. I, I knew Lonnie was pissed, but I'm like, whatever Lonnie was pissed, but I don't think she's right. And Judy goes, God, that was kind of a dick move. I was like, what? She, and she goes like, "Said something like that? What you shouldn't you know that?" I go, "What the fuck are you talking to me for? Like, shut the, Like, fuck! What are you even talking to me?" And I just like walked to me And then, and then Michael Cox takes me out. He goes, "That's Judy Marmel," and she and Lonnie are fucking furious at you. And I'm like, "Oh, I didn't realize that was again Judy Marmel." People are like, "That's like a Dave Becky. That's a big name, right? You know?" And I was like, "Shit! Doesn't they in charge of all the improvs and?" All the TV and like I had just got my show, you know, my show canceled. And Neil say, I, and I, and Cox, said to me, he goes, look, I thought you were really fucking funny. I thought you people got last. You did good? It was what good episode? He goes, Chelsea thought you were funny. I walk out. I go apologize to Lonnie. She won't talk to me. I apologize to Judy. That that week, I apologize to Lana in the email. She says, okay, it's fine, it's fine. I apologize to Judy. It's, it's fine, it's fine. Never was booked back on Chelsea again, ever. And it was none clear to me what happened, but something happened for sure, right? Because it, it never was in. And other things that I noticed as like, so once that stopped happening, that, that fucked me up because I was on the road as a Chelsea comic. I was, I was drawing, like you were saying, I was drawing the 30 people to show to keep getting booked, right? They weren't the fan base I wanted. They weren't, they didn't, I wasn't giving the act they thought I would give because they thought I was going up there and do kind of Chelsea stuff, but I'm kind of like was up there doing really dark shit at the time, you know, but it fucked me up, you know, and, and, uh, and it was a real lesson on not having humility, not let, not being able to just be quiet and, and being egotistical and being narcissistic and bitter, you know? And so apologize to Judy for me. And I'm curious if she, I, I'm curious you, what she says. If, if you, if you tell the story from my perspective and apology, apologize, cause I've always I wondered,
0: wait, I can't wait to call her and go, I had Mo Mandela on the podcast and hear her first word. Judy will have first words about it. Well, cause so, here's the
1: thing. I remember somebody telling me, and I don't know if this is true or not. I'm curious what Judy says. Somebody, when I told them the story goes, you know, when you first moved to town, Judy asked me about you. I think she wanted to sign you. Like she really liked you. Really? And, uh, and they said this is, I don't know if this is true or not. I'm curious what she does it with that. Someone's like, no, no, she's a fan, she likes you, she wants science. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. So I was like, Oh, at least she kind of thinks I'm funny. But then I was like, I wonder if that woman like hates me. Like, I, I was like, did she name. hate me? Let me know because I'm curious no because it was all my fault. I realized no, I ran to Ronnie the other day. That we didn't hindsight, talk about it. we just connected on it. We were just like human beings, but she would, you know, I was my fault. I was a dick. What can you do? I was a that, hindsight,
0: that hindsight is invaluable in this business, but more importantly. And I think every comic would understand what it's like to be nervous, want to do well, want to, and, and there's so much of it is like, you're like, your brain is set up to go like, if I'm not being funny, I, I, I'd rather take the risk of being funny than failing and not knowing what you said, which comes with age is it's not about me. It's about, it's not about me. Like, it's not about me killing right now. But
1: it's such a comedian thing because even Chris Rock, I was at the comedy store, like, I, I, got to, I got to follow Chris Rock right before he did the Oscars, right? And he did some bit. One of them, he really trashed Will Smith's wife, right? Yeah. And I remember talking to one of the writers, and they go, yeah, he's not sure if he wants to do that. He's afraid that's going to hurt his relationship with Will Smith. Because he's a comic, and the joke was funny during the Oscars. He fucking did it. He told the joke. And he saw Will Smith and Jada. They didn't look fucking happy. But because he's a comic. You got to say what you think is funny. And eventually, you, some, it, for good and bad, you know, sometimes, like yeah. you're saying, you just got to be like, it's not worth it. It's not worth how funny you think that is.
0: I don't <laughs> love pancakes that much.
1: <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Boom. By the way,
0: been, been, I misused that reference, and now it sounds like I don't like black people. But no, I, yeah, yeah, pancakes. I, I don't love that joke. Um, Mo, I love you, brother. Congratulations.
1: Dude, thank you so much for having me. It's a fucking honor to chat with you, man. I love you, man. You're such a supportive dude, and you, you deserve everything, everything, dude
0: continued success. I can't wait to watch the show. I'll call you with notes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) give me notes. Please give me notes.
0: (laughs) Awesome, brother. Thank you. Thanks, Eddie. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.